Keep in touch with the Wolf Connection podcast on our Instagram handle at the Wolf Connection Pod or email us your questions, comments, and guest ideas to podcast at wolfconnection.org. Thank you for your support and howls to you all. Welcome to the Wolf Connection podcast. I'm your host, John Calvin. This individual came about uh, who's with Stephen and I. Uh, there was a webinar that was done a few months ago, um, and we were reached out to, contacted, and said, hey, do you want to have this person on to speak about his research? And we always, we accept all comers. And uh, this is a first for us, so we're expanding our reach. We're, uh, our guest is in Portugal at the moment, um, and he has done some really great coexistence work. Uh, right now, he is a PhD student uh, at the Center for Environmental and Marine Studies at the University of Aveiro in Portugal. And he will correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, he is also a PhD student at the Faculty of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Zagreb, Croatia. See, I would do that because I work in, <laughs> in tennis, so I know that. Uh, he is Dario Hippolito. Dario, it's first of all, it's a pleasure to meet you. And thank you for making the time uh, with the time and everything like that over in Portugal. How are you doing? Hi, John. Uh, thank you for the invitation. I'm, I'm, I'm great. Uh, it's good to be back uh, home after spending some time in Croatia preparing for next season uh, for trapping. So it's nice to be back. Nice. And just go into your background, how this all started for you, because I, I watched your webinar uh, very informative. A lot of the same challenges that it seems biologists or researchers in North America have that you're you seem to have sort of the same things in in Portugal and and I guess also in Croatia. How did you get started in this research and wanting to study wolves and the coexistence angle? Uh, so it all started in the university while I was studying. I had a professor that just retired. Um, it was a big influence to me, um, but at that time I said, okay, uh, it was for me at least a little bit hard to work with wolves, uh, not a lot of work going on. Um, and so in the beginning, it was not my objective. I still participated in some projects because he was responsible for um, recovery center for wolves uh, in Portugal. Uh, so we, I, I did some voluntary work there. It was how I maintained it. And uh, a few years later, after my master's, uh, there was the opportunity just came up, uh, just come up with uh, to work with wolves and I couldn't say no it's wolves and I was always uh, wanting uh, deep in me to work with large carnivores I did some work in Croatia with bears before so it's it was a step by step and eventually I got it <laughs> what was it like working with bears in Croatia and then to make the the switch to, to wolves for you? Was that pretty, pretty even, pretty even switch or what was the difference there for you? Well, it was, uh, all connected with the coexistence with humans. Uh, so that was my, uh, 
biggest link between both of them. Uh, but things are different. In Croatia, bears is a hunted species, uh, and the conflicts are not as big as with wolves. Wolves are not are fully protected there, um, so it's it's a little bit different and much more tricky to work with people, who, because wolves are are not loved <laughs> in most of the places. So unfortunately, it's uh, more, much more challenging, but well, it's much more fun at the same time. So so in Croatia, bears are not not considered in the same sort of the same context as wolves in terms of in terms of conflict uh, no um because it, it's mostly related with money uh, essentially uh bears uh, are a game species there are plenty of them we are talking about uh, more than 1000 individuals so a nice quota per year but uh with wolves there is no quota so it's um and well, bears are mostly vegetarian. Um, when they do damages, is basically to crops or orchards, um, which uh, the income is maybe less important and easy to replace by hunting associations than for wolves, which the responsible to pay it the state. And we know how the state works and full of bureaucracy, a lot of delays, and it's uh, so. And the conflicts just rise up. This is the situation in Europe with wolves. And those are brown bears in Croatia. Brown bears, yes, but smaller than the really? in the U.S. Same species, or I mean, are they same as a same species as yes, grizzly? Yes. Grizzly bears. Wow, yeah. you wouldn't think that. Well, let me ask you this too, because I know looking through some of your research, and I'll ask this about the wolves too, because I know, do you mostly study the the Iberian wolves that are in, I know that are in Spain and Portugal. What's the, I don't want to say the subspecies, what's the species of wolf then in Croatia? Is it the same? Is it is it labeled as Iberian or is it something different? Um, it's, so it's a different subspecies. It's called, it's the gray wolf, okay. uh, let's say like you have in America. Um, but uh, yeah, it's slightly different morphologically and genetically also, of course, from the Iberian wolf. Iberian wolf is smaller, more brownish. Uh, the, in Croatia, it's the, more the traditional gray wolf, uh, more grayer, a little bit bigger uh, than the Iberian wolf. What's their, what are the, I guess the, the top three species of prey that they, they generally subsist on in the, in that area? Well, if we are talking about, uh, areas where they feed mostly on wild species, I'll go with the red deer, with, with roe deer primarily, red deer and wild boar. Uh, but I would say, and this is, uh, there are some studies finding out that is basically uh, balanced with the availability. Got it. With, uh, which species is more available? It's uh, the species they prey on the most. But um, but yeah, when everything is similar, there are some studies finding out for roe deer primarily. 
but of course then we have the problem with livestock right because in some in some areas that's is are there wolf packs that ex, that exclusively eat livestock yeah yeah in portugal we we have uh, i would say 90 percent. so the area where i work uh it's south of the river it's a isolated uh area because we have a big river making um the upper year to the northern population um so they basically feed on on livestock 90% now it's uh, slightly changing and slowly uh, because there were some um reintroducing programs for roe deer um more than 100 were released in in two areas so yeah uh things are changing slowly but so what are the what are the tactics then or or the the measures that you're looking at specifically in Portugal I guess for for this question to give the livestock community uh, I guess co- uh, non-lethal me- measures are those things that are being put in place by the the Portuguese government. Is it being put in place by state agents or I guess city or towns or what? What's the way to help them coexist with wolves there? If you have these packs that are, like you say, ninety percent of them are predating on livestock consistently. Uh, so I'm talking basically about so in this southern area where we have really confirmed uh five packs okay um not all of them have reproduction events every year so uh, a lot of uh replacement of individuals and with replacement i'm so they they are illegally shot and some some years there can be reproduction so for example we this year i confirmed reproduction in both of the packs um so there is a possibility for the for the species to continue to be there but uh, but it's hard so what what is being done so there are some financial support for uh electric fences and fences uh also for livestock guardian dogs but the problem is um so we are talking about a generation that are not used to computers, to internet, and now everything it's digital, uh, and it's much harder for them to get the information and to get to these subsidies to help them uh, improve these practices, uh, and that is the main challenge. So when, when every time I'm in the field and I knew new livestock uh, owner. Uh, or old one, but but I didn't know before. I, I always try to know what they do, uh, what what measures they implement, what type of um, management they do with the livestock, and then say, okay, maybe you should try this. You have support for this, and that is the the main thing that needs to be done. So when we, because I when we're looking at the, your presentation and a lot of what you stress to, to the group that was watching the webinar and, and was asking questions is really about the communication 
with the local communities, with the people that are, that are doing the work on the land to get to know them re- really. And it's a lot of what's happening in, in North America, at least in the United States in the West is trying to bridge these gaps of those that live in the rural country that work in and around where wolves are and the urban centers in the cities where people are trying to lobby, um, you know, activism and, and progressive conservation. What are your tactics and ways that you're able to bridge those gaps as a researcher to help those individuals get the information more easily? Like you were saying, sometimes it's difficult for them to receive it with, you know, through the internet and digital age. Uh, mostly you need to be persistent with the message. Um, of course, you need to adapt if you have new facts, but if you don't have new facts, you need to be consistent and persistent with the message. So in Portugal, so in Europe, there are no uh, wolf releases, uh, at, at least legal, <laughs> okay? Uh, because, because in the past, people knew where pups have been raised and sometimes they, like they do in the US, they go there, they collect the pups, they bring them home. Uh, and of course, these animals get big. That sometimes they they can have some behaviors that are not nice to people because they they are wild animals and uh, like they do with stray dogs probably some of them could have been released back in the past in the wild but legal releases that never happen in Europe so this is a big difference with the US but we have the huge myth that wolves are releases um, regularly in big numbers. For example, for me, people in the field say that I usually release every year about 30 wolves in the mountains where I work. And I say, come on, if there were 30 wolves per year released by me, I would be <laughs> super happy and I would not <laughs> not be worried with anything because the wolves would be great. But but so you really need to be persistent with the message. Uh, and every time they come up with this myth, you need to say, no, there are no releases. There were never releases of wolves in the, in the wild uh, here in Portugal. And usually I, I say because it's true, I, either in Portugal, Spain, or even Europe, there are no releases of um, wolves. And well, it's hard. But every time it comes back. And when the situation is calm with almost no livestock damages, they start to have a nice talk and they don't push that subject. And sometimes they even help you when others push that. But if they suffer a livestock damage, you go back uh, one or two years sometimes. Uh, and you really need to okay, let's go again. But uh, yeah, so communication is the key, but it's, you really need to be consistent. Um, what, one of the problems I see that, at least in Portugal, it happened a lot. It's, um, so it's not the same person working um, throughout the years. 
people are changing also because the projects end. Sometimes there are many years without any projects going on. Um, and this, this change of people, it's really hard. People need time to build the trust, right? Um, and to know each other. Uh, and so I'm doing this since 2018 already. So five years, uh, I know some people, there are some people that I trust. I know that some people trust me, uh, but uh, one slightly change can make a big difference. And for the worst, always. Uh, it's much harder to make uh, a change for good uh, just like this in a click of, of fingers. So you said when there's livestock losses, sometimes you you go back two years in that in progress, and then you you also mentioned that there's some illegal killing of wolves. Can you talk about, I mean, how severe of a problem is is illegal killing? What kind of weapons or what kind of weaponry or what kind of tactics are being used to kill wolves? What's the what's the breadth of that of that issue? Uh, so the most used are snares and shooting, illegal shooting. So when there is a livestock damage, uh, there are some people that already told this to me, like um, there was a livestock damage and they said, oh, the wolf only came uh, around 24 hours after the first visit. And of course, I know how they know this. So they are waiting for, for it, uh, and and then it just happens. Um, and how severe it is. So I'm talking about. I can talk a little bit more with two packs that I'm working uh, more in Portugal, uh, and I'm talking about a pack that. Um, for many years at two individuals uh, only uh, without reproduction events. Uh, so, and then there was some reproduction events for one or two years, maybe. We are not completely sure. Uh, we went up to seven individuals in one year and then got back again to two. So, um, we are talking about this. And of course, uh, imagine with one pair only and we here we need to consider a pair as a pack and not as a pair <laughs> because it's what we have um so imagine in a pair you shoot the male or the female and it's gone because they are also isolated from uh, others it will take a lot of time for for it to come back um so one animal Makes, makes a huge difference. The other pack is recently established. So it was two females that were together in the part of, of, of one area uh, for many, for like two years at least that I know uh, from, from working on it. And then they just crossed the highway, which was not expected. Um, because it's a huge barrier for them, but one of the females did that um, and found uh, a male from other pack, a neighboring pack, the only connection that there is, 
uh, and last year there was actually two years ago there was reproduction um, but I don't believe any of the animals survived uh, because uh, last year we only found again that pair uh, but they got pups uh, three survived to this year and this year they got again pups I know that uh, at least four um, but then one of them at least died already uh, well this can happen it's also biology if they, they, if they don't find enough food uh, some of them just do not survive but now the problem is uh, so will they survive can they sustain these seven animals in one pack I don't believe so uh, it's too many uh, mouths to to feed um, so and then livestock damages probably will increase persecution will increase and more illegal but but of course now you have like let's imagine six animals um now if they shoot one or two okay the pack will continue uh it's not as severe as when you have just a pair but it's still important right it just seems like there's a vicious cycle that's happening that these these packs can't it doesn't seem like, from what you're saying, there's enough sustainable prey in these areas for them, other than livestock. Well, and that, or no. there is plenty of wild boar. The, oh, wild but boar. the okay. problem is uh, a small pack, or in this case a pair, cannot really survive on wild boar unless it's the piglet season, right? Okay. Um, because it's really hard for two adult wolves to... To kill uh, adult wild boar, uh, yeah, yeah. We are talking smaller animals, so smaller wolves and right. In, I see. In the U.S., slightly smaller, but still makes a difference. And two animals, two adults, it's much really hard for them to kill a adult That's wild boar. Surprising, <laughs> uh, uh. Uh, because. Um, they can just turn and read them, right? With the with their with the tusks. Teeth. Yeah. How big? How big are wild boar usually? How big do wild boar usually get? Are they rough? In the, are they roughly the same weight as the wolves, or are they? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, so we are talking about wolves, thirty-five kilos, and we are talking wild boars. It's adult ones, nice ones, females. With 60, 70. So 35 kilos is, a, is like just under 80 pounds. So yeah, they're definitely, they're certainly smaller. Yeah, they definitely are. But these wild boar are like just, it's just a big chunk of muscle basically. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like a, a war <laughs> tank. <laughs> they can go through wow. everything. So it's really hard. Oh man. I could see how that's, that's difficult. You're not talking about an ungulate then. And it's a smaller stockier animal that can obviously just be a bowling pin and just run through things. Um, I'm looking at something too, uh, Dario, that it, it's from the Atlantic Bridge uh, Consulting and Investment. I, I, this is from early, early on this year in January. And it was talking a little bit about Iberian wolves being 
a symbol of Portugal or they're a protected species, but they're like this main symbol. Like if you were to say, what's the, what's the animal of Portugal? There are some people that are saying that the Iberian wolf is the, is the symbol of, uh, of the country. Is that, is that accurate? Is it sort of mixed messaging? Like where do wolves specifically fall, I guess, in the social tolerance aspect? Obviously it depends if we're talking about livestock, people who raise livestock or orchards, but Overall, what's the social tolerance of wolves on the landscape, if, or, or even where you're studying them? What's the what's the tolerance level there? Uh, in in the area where I'm studying, it's really negative. It's uh, it's really hard uh, for them to persist. So we are in this situation for many years, um, and now it was so really interesting. There is a, a local soccer uh, club. Uh, that adopted the Iberian wolf as uh, the mascot. So I, I will. So this happened last year, out, uh, out a little bit out of nowhere, and nobody was expecting. It was they just appeared with the with the team bus <laughs> and they reveal like the wolf and they said, okay, we want to be called the the wolves the freighter wolves that are, uh, it's the mountain uh, where wolves are and it's close to this uh, club um, headquarters. So, and it it was really interesting and we, I, I'm trying now to, to reach to them, also to try to involve them a little bit. Um, but, but yeah, it's not, it's the only, it's the biggest large carnivore we have. Uh, we also have the Iberian lynx. That it's an, another story. It was really threatened, and now it's really okay. And there was a big effort to 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 put the situation better, and they were able. But with wolves, not so much. So, and there are a lot of meats. It's it's a mythical creature right uh it's a nocturnal creature um there are plenty of myths about it so but it's not a matter of, of symbolism or for from the cult the from the country um but but yeah it's 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 a problem uh, where it exists almost uh it's a problem there, there are some exceptions where people, I will not say love them, but they don't hate them as much because, for example, red deer, it's more of a problem or a wild boar because of damages to to agriculture. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the, the problem is always the same. As soon as there are some livestock damages, everything a little bit comes. So, and, and the thing that... So preventive measures really need to be pushed for people to use them um, properly uh, because there are some people that have livestock guardian dogs, but they use it as domestic dogs. So they they go when they go with cattle up to the mountains, the go dog goes with them and with the shepherd, but the shepherd then comes back, just leaves the cows and the dog comes with, with the shepherd. So it's, it's not a livestock guardian dog, it's a shepherd guardian dog. 
so so it's not working properly so so is there an element of of personal fear around wolves in portugal yeah. i mean there is some here obviously even even with so few conflicts with people it seems to to pop up but i mean are people personally afraid for their safety when it comes to seeing wolves in the vicinity or or near near settlements i guess yeah th that comes all the time uh, for example now we have one project going on in several countries in, in Europe that is dealing with these now so-called confident wolves. Um, and this is because so wolves in many parts of Europe just increased a lot in recent years, mainly because um, in these countries there is plenty of uh, wild prey, roe deer uh, mainly. Um, for example, Germany, uh, it's it's it was a boom really uh, it was really fast i think 30 years ago nobody nobody was expecting this um, as fast as as it did so um and now we we have like a problem of wolves coming close to settlements uh and um and we have now this live wild wolf project that's trying to understand a little bit what are these behaviors, if there is something special with these wolves, are really are are them really confident wolves? Um, even there is a term of bold wolf, uh, are they bold wolves, are they confident wolves, or are they just normal wolves that they, they are just uh, discovering the territory and now people uh, are are there uh, they need to deal with it and they get used to it okay but yeah people when when they see a wolf uh if they are not used to after many many years of absence uh sometimes they they get worried but yeah we don't have cases of wolf attacks on, on people and usually when they are aggressive to people uh, there's something behind rabies, for example. Or I think it's the same here, main, mainly. Right. One big difference in in between the U.S. and Europe is the available wild areas that you still have in the U.S. that we don't have. Right. right. Uh, so uh, it makes total sense when we talk about Yellowstone. You can have packs with without almost no connection to people. Right. Uh, unless researchers and stuff like that uh, and of course some tourists in the middle of the wild but uh, we are not talking about settlements everywhere it's, it's really hard on. yeah it's interesting that, that you're saying that it sounds like you have a bigger issue than we do with with livestock and cattle depredations <clears throat> i mean wolf, wolf packs sustaining almost completely on on livestock whereas i guess because we have a lot of wild spaces we have a lot less of it and not a lot of packs that are i don't know if we've heard of a pack that was really i mean 100 percent sustaining completely on livestock but we still have you know very similar negative feelings towards them regardless of that of that discrepancy it's definitely not proportionate well i i, I usually i i give this example to to local communities it's like what do you prefer if you have uh, let's talk about meals right you have a nice restaurant who serves really nice food and they just put plates uh, uh, outside at the window 
and you can just go pick it up <laughs> leave and or you go and you need to go to the supermarket or go fishing or <laughs> i don't know what else and then you still need to cook it and uh, come on uh if the restaurant is nice and you don't need to pay for the food i know where you're going to go so it's true uh, it's it's exactly this that's why um if people do not protect uh, uh the livestock it's much easy to to go there sheep and goat sheep for example they don't run especially from a wolf okay they run but not as fast uh, uh, goats okay in the middle of the mountains they can go to rug uh, areas where it's hard to go after them okay uh, cows right they they can defend themselves they are big animals but with three wolves around them it's really hard but uh, they still can try to defend themselves Uh, but but it's still easier than the road you're jumping and running through the middle of the forest uh, at much higher speed, right, than uh, a goat or, or or a cow. I know you said that during the, the road deer reintroduction, w the wolf dietary habit kind of changed a bit. It, it, you know, transitioned from... It, it's from changing. Can you talk in more detail about that? And what, what was the context of the row deer reintroduction? Like, why did it need to happen? Did it, was it, did it happen as a, as a, a method of providing new prey based to wolves or what, what was the, what was the reason for the, the reintroduction and how did, did you, do you have like specific, have you done, has anyone done specific research on what kind of changes happened from, from just before that reintroduction to after they started to build significant numbers? So this is still oh, is okay. quite recent uh, the first reintroduction was just made now 10 years ago um, and so there were uh, four re uh, reintroduction events in the area of one pack um, three in in the area of another pack and there was one the last one in 2021 in in a, a third area Uh, and last year and this year, there were no reintroductions. Uh, and these reintroductions occur because the only wild prey available was wild boar. And uh, as I said before, it was hard. And so piglets are mainly available between February and June. After that, it starts to be hard for wolves to go after them. They are already big enough. They can they don't stay behind um, and they are more aware of, of the danger of the wolf, right? And the objective was to provide uh, prey diversity, to increase prey diversity, right? So to, to have another species, uh, a species that do not cause as much problems as, for example, red deer, which cause much more problems, okay? Um, that was one of the reasons for roe deer instead of red deer, for, ex for example. And, um, and it, yeah, the main objective was to try to slowly, because it takes time to, uh, to shift the dietary uh, preference of wolves to at least a little bit more towards the, the wild prey.
um, and we are seeing this already. So we have some studies before the the reintroduction that we saw that it's like ninety percent of uh, human food resources, not only livestock, garbage, also poultry. Um, in in my area, also poultry. Uh, Poultry is quite common. There are chicken farms everywhere, uh, and they just toss the dead ones uh, outside, and wolves just go there like foxes and everything else, and just pick it up. Um, so, and now it's slowly increasing, but 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 it's increasing the wild prey proportion. We already see. Um, hairs of uh, roe deer in the wolf's cats. So we have even photos of uh, wolves. Um, I, I, I can I can share uh, uh, for you with you guys of a wolf with a part of a roe deer uh, in the mouth. Uh, so so it's 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 going it's going. Um, and so this roe deer introduction made wild prey more easily available in the other period where piglets are not, right? So the fawns, usually born in May, it's when the piglets start to be big enough. Um, so there are a few more months. And then, of course, roe deer, uh, sometimes it's easier to prey wow. than wild boar, right? Because of the size yeah. and the aggressiveness of, of wild boars. Are um were roe deer a natural, uh, ungulate prey species that were on the landscape? Okay, so they were, and it's just get, giving that population kind of a boost to make sure. So, in other words, you're not yeah, transplanting. So it was completely, or mostly, we assume it it was completely absent. Okay. Uh, in this area, previously in the, in the past, there was there was some uh, studies made to know. Where should we go and collect the animals? So they came from Spain. Uh, okay. Genetically, they was it was the closest uh, to, to which previously occurred genetically. Um, so we went there. We we collect the animals. They were raised in, in captivity, um, and we bring them. And it was they it was quite okay. We have some problems with illegal hunting in, in the first years. So in the first year, for example, 50% of them died from illegal hunting in wow. less than two months. Jeez. Uh, there was one animal that didn't survive one night. Wow. I mean, people <laughs> must have been, I guess, chopping yeah. <laughs> at the bit for it for some reason. Um, uh, so in the beginning, uh, the, we try to communicate with people and try to involve them, uh, which is nice, but at the same time, it brings some risks like this one. Uh, but at the long term, it was much better. We Okay, some changes were made. Um, there was not so much publicity, uh, but still some locals were, were invited to participate. And now they, they hmm. like to see it. <laughs> okay, but they still hunt them. Some of, I know when where some of them are being roasted, <laughs> so uh, it's uh, it's it's a tricky situation because you really need to balance this 
communication effort. And there are things that you might know, but you need to be careful with what you do with this information because, because you can lose trust of everyone. Right. And then your work, it's much harder and it will be even harder for, for wolves. Yeah. Are you guys working with any of the, the researchers in Spain too with, with coexistence efforts with, with wolves? I, I know we've spoken with a couple of researchers from there. Is there sharing of information, sharing of tactics, coexistence measures, anything that they're doing to maybe help you out? Or, or are you and whoever you're working with in Portugal kind of on an island of your own figuring out what works best for you guys? Um, so in the northern area, there is more transboundary animals and uh, communication is uh, more common. Uh, of course, we learn with, with each other. There has been some efforts uh, recently to try to communicate more and better between both countries and institutions, uh, mainly uh, state institutions, which is really important because sometimes Okay, we can harmonize field field methodology, but the biggest problem is not that. Uh, so, regarding availability of protection measures, it's uh, at the European level. The support uh, is available for every country financial financial support. But then it's a matter of implementation and communication with people and support to people directly in the field. And so I'm pushing some farmers association to be a little bit more active and aware and also to, because they are uh, the persons who people trust, right? Right. So um, the most, they know them, they will trust them much more than, than me. Uh, so I'm pushing them and trying to give them some information like, Guys, pay attention. There, there is some opportunities available. Please tell this to people because some of time, some of the times, I talk to people in the field and say, "Oh, if I knew that, oh, if I knew that," and they say, "Okay, um, uh, someone should have told you this." Uh, and I really try to push them to be aware. So, uh, so the work is easy for everyone. Yeah, and that's the that's the biggest bridge to cross is the communication barrier who is listening to who and, and who has the right information when you need it. Yeah. That's why I, I pushed it so much at the workshop. It's really about community. It's one of the most important things with wolves is communication and empathy, of course, but you, you also need to understand when a problem occurs, when the damage occurs, you need to put on, put yourself on the other side. And it's sometimes it's not about the, financial problem that might come from the livestock damage. Uh, it's the sentimental one, right? right. Uh, the connection that sometimes, for example, there are people here in Portugal in the area where I work that have two or three cows. And there is a bond. Right. Sometimes people don't like to admit this uh, in a normal situation, but of course th there is a bond. They treat the, those animals really nice. They, they graze free in, in the mountains. They come home every night. They, they have food available at home also. 
some of them, okay, they take milk every day. Some of them, not even that. It's just the calf that is born next year that will give some food or some money. Uh, so it's it's more of of the bond they create sometimes. It's much harder, and you need to put yourself on, on their position, right? Uh, and some empathy, and sometimes just listen to them. It's the most important. They feel abandoned, they feel alone, and they they just need someone to talk and to speak their problems. Yeah. No, we hear you. That's That's exactly what we're trying to do here. How do you feel going forward and I want to touch on life wild wolf that you were you were talking about because that's a new project that you're 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 working on what do you think lies in the future of wolves in Portugal and and all of what the work that you're doing your team is doing do you think we'll get to a point of tolerance or or a tolerable level where people will understand they, they can coexist or, or do you think it's going to take obviously some more time and more communication and more efforts? Well, I think the challenge will increase because for many years we were listening to urban people talking that you should protect wolves. Um, and now in some areas like in Italy, uh, Germany, wolves are coming close to settlements and sometimes to urban areas. There are Wolves around Rome, for example. Um, uh, so it's it's a new challenge. We need to see how people will react to this. And the reaction is not being that great. People now f- feel afraid. Um, one thing is to have the, to talk about animals that are far away and talk, okay, you should protect them. Uh, another thing is when they are on your backyard, right? Just roaming, but uh, well. Um, so this Life Wild Wolf project is trying to understand a little bit more about uh, these new challenges of dealing with people in urban areas and and seeing if really there are some changes between these wolves in these areas and wolves in more wilder areas, if we can call it like that in Europe. In the US you can, but in Europe it's a little bit trickier. Uh, so that is the, the main goal. There are also some issues with hybrids uh, in some areas that we are trying to, to tackle and to identify hotspots. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a really a different project that it's not a pure conservation a project of wolves in the wild. It's really try to maintain wolves wild, uh, and that's the that's the objective. Yeah, it's always going to be a difficult situation, um, and we just we appreciate all your the work that you're doing and, and the work you've already done. Obviously, with everything that's that's been happening there, Dario, where can they find? I know you gave us a bunch of. Uh, we're going to give you all. Uh, Dario's uh, Instagram, the websites that he gave us for his research group and stuff like that. But where's one place if you could tell anybody to go and see the work that you're doing? What's the best place for people to do that? Uh, well, uh, I, I try to use a little bit of in- Instagram and Twitter to post <laughs> a little bit of my my work. 
Um, so my research group, it's a web, uh, Instagram. It's mostly of the work that is being done in Portugal. Um, this Life Wild Wolf will have a website soon. It's really being finished. Uh, but then you can search for Life Wild Wolf and uh, information will appear about the objectives of the project um, and the work being done so far. Um, so yeah, uh, basically Instagram and uh, Twitter, I'm trying to keep that uh, updated with my work. And uh, usually it's about field work. It's the most exciting thing. Uh, of course, we have a lot of bureaucracy um, and computer work, uh, but, but what I enjoy the most is being in the wild and trying to track and capture some wolves, uh, especially I do that in Croatia, not in Portugal yet, unfortunately. Uh, maybe in the future, if I can find some budget also to do that in Portugal. It will be great, but uh, yeah, uh, for now, just in Croatia, we have now this this project, so it's a really nice opportunity. No, that's great, and uh, we can't thank you enough for what you're doing uh, in Europe and in Portugal and Croatia for for helping these helping the species out as as best you can. Uh, our last question for you is: When you hear the word wolf, what's the thing that comes to your mind? It's, it's a myth. Um, it's it's a mythical creature that can adapt to such uh, different situations and hard situations. It's to me amazing, and I understand how, why there are so many myths about them. They have been persecuted for so long and so hard, and they still survive. And they survive in uh, human landscapes. Uh, like maybe not no other large carnivore uh, can. So it's really, they are mythical creatures. So it's what comes to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's really, I mean, it's like you said, it's been happening for such a long time. Uh, Dario Hippolito, thank you so much for, again, spending the time to, <laughs> to making the, making it work. And uh, just continue to do what you're doing. We really appreciate you and, uh, and all the work. So thank, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. And thank you also for all the amazing work you've, you are doing in, in the U.S. Uh, with everything, with the center and with the communication and everything. It's really important. And uh, again, thank you for the invitation for, and the opportunity to talk a little bit about my work and wolves in Portugal, in Croatia, in Europe. Thank you, guys. Anytime. Yeah, Thank you're you. welcome anytime. Just stick around stick around for a moment. Uh, house to you all out there, and we'll be with you next time. Bye, everybody. Looking for more information about Wolf Connection or the podcast? Please visit our website at wolfconnection.org, where you can donate, sponsor a wolf, or become a volunteer.